0: Just truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs Nine Ten Ministries,
1: Rose Spiller and Chris Paxson. Today we're continuing in our series, Real Truth About Real Stuff. We've entitled this episode, Living with Regret. When we decided to do this series, I made up a list of topics for us to do, but Rose, this topic wasn't on the original list.
0: No, it wasn't. But as sometimes happens, we make up our agenda, but the Holy Spirit has His own agenda, and this was one of those times. And I admit, I was not thrilled about it at first, but then I realized this is probably an important topic we need to discuss.
1: I agree. And let's start by making an important distinction. When Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you go to God asking for forgiveness of a sin or sins, you are forgiven. The guilt and shame of that sin is taken away forever. However, you may still feel regret.
0: Yes, you may. The regret you feel even after you know God has forgiven you is the sadness you have for the consequences your sins caused. And it may not even be a sin. Maybe it was a thoughtless action. But like you said, Chris, Jesus takes away the guilt and shame, but the regret is something that we have to learn to live with.
1: And we want to make sure that we make the distinction between guilt and regret. So it would probably help to give some examples.
0: Well, I have two, neither of which I'm proud to share, but here goes. When I was 14, I was lying in bed one night and I heard my dad coming up the stairs and he called my name. He said, Rose, come here. I didn't want to get out of bed thinking he probably wanted me to run downstairs and get something for him or something like that. So I just pretended to be asleep and he continued on to his room. He wasn't up when I left for school the next day. And when I got home, I was met by my brother-in-law who told me that my dad had had a massive heart attack that morning and he was dead. Wow, that must've been shocking. That's a lot for a 14-year-old to deal with. It was, and at the time, I wasn't a Christian, and I didn't have any strong Christians around me, so I acted out pretty wildly, but that's another story. I've always regretted that I didn't get out of bed to see what he needed the night before he died. What if he was having chest pains or something? Years later, when I became a Christian, I did ask God for forgiveness
1: for not honoring my father as I should have, but the regret was still there. And I know from talking to you that that regret has been compounded recently, hasn't it? It has. Fast forward 40 years later to just this past May. My mom was 87,
0: living in a really nice assisted living facility. It was about an hour from my house. She'd been in and out of the hospital with some issues, and we knew she didn't have a lot of time left. Just about every day in the 33 years I'd been married, I called my mom to check in on her. At this particular time, I was in Georgia visiting my daughter and her family. I still called every day, though. And the day before we were to leave to come home, she was really upset and she was crying on the phone. She told me she needed me there. This was a Saturday, and I assured her that I would be there first thing Monday morning. When I got off the phone, I felt more strongly than ever that I really needed to share the gospel message with her on Monday morning. We had had many talks about salvation and faith, but I felt like I needed to sit down and lay it all out for her.
1: Yeah, I know how often you've prayed for your mom, and, and I know how often you've tried talking to her about Jesus. And she seemed like she was more receptive over the last year. She was, which was why I was really pumped to have a good
0: talk with her. I ended up getting really sick that night, though, and my husband and I decided to just start driving home late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, since neither of us were sleeping anyway. Well, our usual 10-hour drive took over 12 hours because we had to keep stopping for me. I was laying in the car feeling dizzy. I was nauseated. I was miserable. But I kept thinking I should call my mom and check in with her. But then I decided to try and sleep it off, and I would call her when I got home. Well, when we got home, I felt even worse than ever, and I went to bed. My son even called and said he was thinking about going to visit her, and he asked if I wanted to go. I told him that I needed to go to bed and sleep off whatever it was I had so I could go see her first thing in the morning. I even told him it was late in the day and my siblings were probably there, so he didn't need to run down. Well, the next morning at 7 a.m., my sister called me and
1: told me my mom had died during the night. Rose, I get why you were devastated by this, but you didn't do anything sinful where your mom was concerned. I didn't, but I was thoughtless
0: and I was selfish. No matter how bad I felt, I knew she was in a bad place and I knew how much she counted on me to be her rock. And I let her down.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're alone in having done something you really regret and that's too late to fix. And I know that you've repented and asked God for forgiveness for your sin and your actions have been forgiven and you don't have to bear any shame and guilt for them. Right.
0: But as we said in the intro, often our sin does leave us with regret for the consequences
1: it caused. Well, let's dive in and see if we can help others who are in your situation. But first, we do need to say that even though you really wanted to witness the complete gospel to your mom one last time, your regret is not that you didn't get the chance to do that, right? No, that's correct. While I do consider it a failure because I
0: didn't do it before I left for Georgia, knowing she didn't have a lot of time left, my failure to not do it didn't affect her salvation because God was completely sovereign over that.
1: Absolutely. And if anyone is listening and you have a similar story to Rose's, you've sinned or maybe not technically sinned but have done something thoughtless or selfish and you're having trouble getting over the regret from your actions, our goal today is to help you be able to move on from that. The first step in doing that, of course, if you haven't done so already, is to repent and ask God for forgiveness. Acts 3 verse 19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Chris, when we belong
0: to Jesus and sincerely turn to God with our sin, our slate is wiped clean because it's not our slate God is looking at. It's Jesus's. We need to let that truth really sink in. There's a lot of Christians who can't forgive themselves for something they've done. But that's not the same thing that we're talking about here.
1: No, it's not. If you're a Christian and you cannot forgive yourself for something you've done, or you think that... What you've done is so bad, God won't forgive you. You need to deal with this or you won't ever be able to have the time of refreshing that Acts promises us. You know, Votie Bauckham said something to the effect that we can look at past sins and feel regret, or we can use them to remind ourselves of God's grace. Many years ago, a pastor
0: said something to me that's always stuck with me. He said, if you're a Christian and you're not forgiving yourself, or you think God's not forgiving you, it's like saying what Jesus did on the
1: cross wasn't enough. You need more. That's a really great way to think about it because that's true. If you come right down to it, that's what it is. And I could add that if you don't forgive yourself or you think God won't forgive you, you're actually calling God a liar. 1 John 1 verses 7 to 10 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness god said if we belong to him and go to him in repentance because of what jesus has done our sin is wiped away end of story so we pray if any of you are suffering
0: with regret and you haven't done this yet please do it so chris What about when we've asked God for forgiveness and we understand and accept that that sin is wiped away, but the regret is still there? What help can you offer from Scripture?
1: Well, of course, if you're able to make amends for anything you've done, do that. But if, like in your case, it's too late, then there's another approach we need to take, and it might seem odd to some people. Let's start by laying out a couple key verses. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And James 4 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. So you're saying the way to move on from regret is to start with Satan? Yes and no. Let's start with the Ephesians passage. When Paul says, Give no opportunity to the devil. He's saying that when we sin, and he's talking specifically here about anger, but you can substitute whatever sin here, we're giving the devil a way to mess with us. Now, Rose, of course, if someone's a Christian, Satan cannot possess them. That's not what Paul's saying here. But God does allow the devil to mess with us, sometimes in really bad ways. But he also gives us a way out of that. The original Greek for opportunity in the Ephesians verse means a place. When we're wallowing, for lack of a better word, in regret, we're giving Satan a place to have his voice heard, and that voice will always be lies. So while we'll
0: undoubtedly feel regret for things we've done, even when we know we've been forgiven for them, you're saying that staying in that place of regret and languishing in it gives the devil
1: an opening to mess with us and could turn to sin? That's exactly what I'm saying. And the James verse shows us how to avoid this. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. So the only healthy and godly way to deal with our regret is to
0: bring it to God. You know, Chris, I can attest to this. I had a few really bad weeks after my mother died. I was probably the most down I've ever been. And it was more than just grief. I was certainly grieving over losing my mother. But there was a heavy, oppressive feeling. It was my regret, yes, but it was compounded with feelings that I was an awful daughter, an awful person, and I had no business running a ministry for women when I couldn't even get my own act together.
1: And that's exactly what we're talking about, Rose. By you dwelling on your failure, you gave Satan an opportunity to whisper in your ear that those thoughts were valid and that you were worthless.
0: You're exactly right, Chris. And the only way I snapped out of it was by opening my Bible and really reading and digging in the scripture and pouring my heart out to God.
1: And that's the exact definition of drawing nearer to God. Resisting the devil does not mean that you walk around your house denouncing him and ordering him to leave as we've seen in the movies. It means immersing ourselves in the things of God so Satan doesn't have an opportunity or chance to get a foothold in our lives. That's why he flees, as James says yes god allows him to mess with us but as we said he also shows us the way to prevent it god will fight your battles with satan he's the only one who can we have no power against satan except the power of jesus for our part we just have to stay focused on god and not get distracted by the devil jesus will do the rest chris i think you said the magic word distracted look
0: i know firsthand what it's like to wish you could go back and get a do-over I even know what it's like to obsess. I wondered what my dad and my mom both thought before they died. Were they disappointed in me? Were they mad at me? But in my case, there was no do-over and there's nothing I could change. I had to get to the point where I just rested in that God was sovereign over every single aspect of both situations and that while I may not know what his purposes were yet, I know his purpose was definitely not to have me distracted and paralyzed.
1: That's a great point, Rose. It's easy to get distracted and paralyzed by our regret, and that's exactly playing into Satan's hands. He doesn't need you cursing God. He just wants you not focusing on serving God, or in other words, he wants you distracted. So why we should always be reading our Bibles, studying Scripture, and praying to God, it is never more important to do these things than when we feel like not doing them because we're distracted by something else. And to add
0: to that, Chris, what got me out of my funk a lot faster was that I recognized what was happening, and when the thoughts of self-loathing would come in my mind, I would vanquish them
1: with verses of scripture that say the contrary. I'm sure there's always going to be a part of you that regrets the way things played out with both your parents, but you're not staying in that place, and that's what's most important.
0: So, Chris, why don't you give practical application to anyone listening who is still in a deep state of regret?
1: I don't have to give it. Paul already has in Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. This is the passage about the armor of God. This armor in Paul's text comes from the Old Testament, and it's describing God's armor. It's armor that believers already have. The passage says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints.
0: This is probably a familiar passage to many, and we certainly don't have time to unpack it all. But why don't we give a quick summary of how these verses help us get out of the funk of living with regret, how they help us resist the lying voice of Satan, draw closer to God, and help us move on with our life in a much healthier and godlier
1: way. Well, the first two lines of this passage is a summary. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The first thing we notice is that we aren't doing anything in our own strength. It's God's strength. Christ is the warrior. It's his armor. He's the one with all the might. You know, one of our favorite professors, Dr. Stewart, said when God fights holy war, he would fight the battle and the people were just the mop-up crew. Hmm. We can only be strong in the Lord if we put his armor on. And like I said, if you're a believer, you already have this armor. So let's do a quick rundown of what the armor is. That's a good idea. Well, first is the belt of truth. The function of a
0: belt is to hold everything up. If we aren't grounded in the truth of God's word, we can get caught with our pants down. We'll be vulnerable to not only Satan's lies, but the lies of so many other voices that are in our ears. My go-to verse when I find my mind wandering away from God and to things it shouldn't be thinking about is Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Everything has to start with the truth of God's word.
1: Exactly. Paul was telling the Ephesians back in chapter 4 of this book to know the truth of God's word so that they could stand and not be tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by falseness and deceit. The devil's a liar and a deceiver. We have to know God's word. And next, the text says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, this is God's armor, not ours. So the breastplate of righteousness is not our own righteousness, but God's. Notice what the breastplate's protecting. It's protecting our hearts. Believers stand in the righteousness of Christ. We can stay focused and move ahead confidently, knowing that even if we fail, our sins and our failures are covered, and it does not affect in any way our status with God. Exactly. And then the shoes of the gospel of peace. When we understand the
0: gospel message and what Jesus has saved us from, we gain a peace that transcends all understanding. It's a peace that nothing, not even regret, can shake. Shoes are what we wear when we're on the move. This is a directive that God's people, having been equipped by God with the power of the life-transforming message of the gospel, should be witnessing and doing good works for the glory of God.
1: And next is the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There are several places in scripture where God is referred to as our shield. One example is Psalm 5, verse 12, which says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. The shield of faith is God's protection of us. While we said Satan can mess with us, none of those flaming darts will hit their mark because God's protecting us from the destruction by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9 confirm this. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I love that. And next is the helmet of
0: salvation. What does a helmet protect? It protects our head and more than that, our brain. God's helmet of salvation is the sure hope of our salvation. This is the hope we have amid life's worst difficulties. If you have truly made Jesus your Lord and Savior, even when we find ourselves backsliding, like wallowing in regret, we can know 100% that our salvation is secure.
1: Absolutely. And lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All of this protective equipment we mentioned will keep us from being harmed, but what about when Satan or another enemy of ours moves in close for the kill? We could never stop them in our own strength, or by using our own reasoning or our own arguments. It's God's Word that has the power to defeat enemies. As Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When we have the understanding of God's Word given to us by the Holy Spirit as we read and study Scripture, we can press on, no matter where we are mentally, physically, or emotionally, knowing that we can stand against anything. Amen.
0: And Chris, Paul wraps all of this up by saying we should be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The only way I got out of the dark place I had gotten myself into was by laying it all before God and asking him to get me out of it. Yes, I was proactive. I was reading scripture. I was keeping my mind from being distracted by my dark thoughts and focused on the truth of God. But ultimately, I knew that it was God who was my refuge and strength. He's my ever-present help. He who knows my inmost being and who knit me together in my mother's womb would not leave me to suffer alone.
1: I think that's a good place to end today. And if you're struggling with the regret of something you've done, we pray that we've offered you some encouragement. As we said, Christians will suffer and they will have trials, including being sorry for something they did and they can't make up for. But you don't ever suffer alone. Our prayer for you is the same as Paul's in Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Have a blessed day, everybody.